Hi everybody, this is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. It's 90 minutes of information. You do not want to miss the conversations I'm going to have. For example, I'm going to be talking to a brand new broadcast partner as to how Islam and a prayer at the Democratic National Convention may set that up as a mosque, an Islamic mosque. And then I'm going to be talking about the Mormon Church and what the real beliefs of the Mormon Church are here on Prophecy Today. It's a must-listen. We'll take a look at the book as well. Our broadcast partners are going to be giving us information that will help you understand the times in which we are living. Now let's get right underway with our broadcast partners looking at geopolitical activities across the world, both in the Middle East and here in the United States. The man who can look at what's happening here in America as well as across the world is Ken Timmerman. He's in the Washington, D.C. area. Ken is an author. He's a journalist. He's a world traveler. He happens to be a candidate for the United States Congress as well. So this keeps all of this keeps him pretty tuned in to what's going on in our world. Ken, let's get right to the action. NAM, which is the Non-Aligned Movement Summit, is taking place in Tehran, Iran. Now, one of the concerns you had was that Ban Ki-moon was in attendance. Also, that President Morsi, the newly elected Islamist president in Egypt, is also at that particular summit as well. Talk to me about the summit, what it's really trying to do, what the Iranians are trying to do with it. And what about Ban Ki-moon? He, he seemed to come out against the Iranians. Well, I think there have been some surprises in this summit, and it's taken the Iranian regime a, a, a bit uh, aback. Uh, they have been claiming in their domestic media uh, that the fact that uh, over 100 uh, world leaders, including the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, would come to Tehran is an endorsement of uh, the Islamic Republic. It's an endorsement of their standing up to the world on their nuclear weapons program. It's an endorsement of their right to enrich uranium and on and on and on. Uh, in fact, uh, what happened on the ground was quite different. Uh, as you mentioned, Ban Ki-moon himself was uh, critical of the regime, and even more surprisingly, the Egyptian president, uh, Muslim Brotherhood uh, member Mohamed Morsi, came out and blasted the Iranian regime for supporting uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria. And uh, this was really, uh, the, the Iranians didn't quite know what to make of it. The Syrian foreign minister walked out, and it was a pretty direct, virulent attack on Iran's support for, Hafez for Bashar al-Assad. So those two things, I think, have been the, uh, a bit um, surprising for the regime. They weren't expecting it. Well, in reality, what was the purpose of Iran putting this on? Uh, were they really trying to use it as a PR situation? Oh, well, absolutely. They wanted PR. They wanted to uh, show the non-aligned movement, number one, that they were uh, able and uh, able to stand up to the United States, with it, which they call world arrogance, uh, and that uh, all of the sanctions on them didn't really make much difference. Uh, but uh, the outcome of the summit itself, I think, took the Iranian leadership uh, aback. But that's not going to stop them from moving ahead with our program, do you think? No, they are, they are uh, absolutely dedicated to this. They're all in when it comes to developing nuclear weapons. And uh, that is really the gist of this latest report from the International Atomic Energy Agency, which came out on Thursday. Uh, I find this one of the more troubling reports that the IAEA has ever issued. Uh, they've come out and said that uh, uh, the Iranians have uh, essentially doubled the number of centrifuges in the deep buried plant in Bordeaux, which is near Combe. Uh, this is the plant that everybody's worried about. It's uh, deep inside a mountain. 
outside the city of home, supposedly impenetrable to uh, air attack, although um, I wouldn't be so sure about that. Um, but they have doubled the number of centrifuges and dramatically increased the number of uh, the amount of 20% enriched uranium. That's significant because it is uh, very quick, it is very easy to go from 20% right up to weapons grade, a matter of six to eight weeks. Well, in fact, then that would keep them on line with what many are saying could be the October 1st date uh, that they would have a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Well, they will certainly have the capability by October 1st for at least, uh, to produce at least one weapon. Um, they will have enough enriched uranium to do so. Uh, they do today, actually. They have enough today to make one crude weapon. Uh, they will have more, obviously, uh, in, another, in another six weeks. And we know, again, from the International Atomic Energy Agency's reports uh, in the past, that they have cold-tested all of the elements, all of the components of a workable nuclear fission device. Uh, so they've got the bomb design. They've actually produced the components uh, including the initiators, which are the most complicated uh, piece of all. Uh, and they've shown that they can do it, and it works. And the only thing they're lacking right now is the actual uh, highly enriched uranium bomb core itself. Now we know they've got enough uranium to make it. And as they work feverishly to prepare for that nuclear weapon of mass destruction there in Iran, in the United States, General Dempsey, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, makes a statement that Israel's attack on Iran, a preemptive attack, would not stop the Iranian nuclear program. And some are thinking in Israel that that means, well, hey, we're not sure that the United States is going to have the back of Israel should there be a preemptive strike. What about General Dempsey's statement? Well, this is one of the problems with the Obama administration. They are sending out our military leaders who uh, are supposed to be the chief, General Dempsey is supposed to be the chief military advisor to the president. And instead, it looks like he is taking political advice from the president before he makes his military statement. This is one of the problems with the Obama administration. They are creating uncertainty to the enemy. They are creating doubt among our friends. Uh, and the United States of America, we are the sole remaining superpower in the world, we should not be doing that. That is what creates wars. Wars are created when enemies sense a vacuum, they sense that the United States is weak, and that is exactly the message that General Dempsey put out. I think it's a disaster. I think it's a huge mistake. I, don't, I haven't actually looked at what his term is. Unfortunately, I believe he's at the beginning of his four-year term, but uh, uh, General Dempsey is clearly a political general uh, and is not uh, serving the president well. In fact, one official in Israel said that they quoted the Republican nominee for President of the United States, Mitt Romney, who made in his acceptance speech a statement that the United States has thrown Israel under the bus. That seems like what they're doing. Well, I think that's exactly what they're doing, and uh, I think it's unfortunate, I think it's unwise, and I think it's dangerous. You know, why then is the United States sending a second warship into the Gulf in response to Iran? Well, you know, we've always had uh, two aircraft carrier battle groups in the region. Uh, one might be inside the Persian Gulf, the other one would be out in the Arabian Sea, uh, or perhaps in the Red Sea. There have always been two with a third on the way to relieve the other one. Uh, what they're doing this time seems to be advancing the schedule a little bit. Uh, they're bringing up the uh, aircraft carrier John Stennis and sending uh, them out uh, ahead of time, ahead of their normal schedule. I believe it's four months ahead of time. Uh, so. It is a sign that the U.S. is worried uh, that we are getting closer to hostilities. But again, 
let me just point out, you know, statements like those from General Dempsey, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, that, that the United States uh, will not support Israel. He said, I don't want to be complicit mm. if uh, Israel chooses to attack Iran. I mean, that is an outrageous statement. It emboldens the Iranian regime, and it gives the Israelis doubt as to U.S. resolve. That is not the kind of uh, message we should be putting out there. And putting out and, and advancing the schedule of that second aircraft carrier, frankly, uh, doesn't do an awful lot. Uh, to counteract that message. You know, Ken, I watch Turkey very closely. Tayyip Erdogan, I believe, has desires to be the pan-Islamic leader of the entire world. He has uh, been very meticulous in putting his case in place as far as the Turkish people are concerned. And now the Turkish military seem to be playing a major role in the Western response to the Syrian civil war. What are your thoughts about what Turkey's doing there? Well, they are, and I think as we look back on the Obama administration next year with a new president in power and new members of Congress, uh, we will be asking questions, who lost Turkey? Because clearly, uh, in the past four years, Turkey has gone from being a U.S. ally, an ally of Israel, a member of NATO, into uh, not quite an enemy, but very close to one. Uh, they've severed their military relationship with Israel and, and uh, taken hostile actions such as sending trained guerrilla fighters on board uh, the so-called convoys of uh, flotillas of ships uh, to Gaza uh, to confront the Israelis militarily with clubs and steel bars and, and uh, you know, knives and other weapons. Turkey is, has joined together with Iran in many cases, go against the Kurds, but here in Syria they're on opposite sides. The Turks have been supporting the Muslim Brotherhood against the Assad regime. The Iranians are supporting Assad against the Muslim Brotherhood. So, you know, it's, it is the Middle East. Um, you know, I and my brother against our cousin, uh, I and, uh, we and our cousin against the neighbor, and uh, the rest of us and our neighbors against the world. So uh, Turkey and Iran will be allied when it comes to beating the Kurds, but they'll fight each other when it comes to um, Syria. Yeah, and what about Syria? The rebels there seem to be claiming that they have taken over our control of the chemical weapons of mass destruction that were under the control of Bashar Assad. What's the latest on that? Well, uh, there's this report that comes out from rebel spokesmen uh, among the Syrian opposition that they have captured a Syrian missile base outside of Damascus with 10 missiles that have been converted, where the warheads have been converted to carry unconventional weapons, uh, including chemical weapons. This is an extremely dangerous uh, escalation of the conflict. The United States, the European Union, and Israel have all warned that should Syria lose control of its chemical weapons or its biological weapons, uh, which, by the way, it admits to having. That would be a justification for some form of Western military involvement in Syria's civil war. Uh, that may be, in fact, exactly what the Muslim Brotherhood opposition is trying to provoke. They may be trying to get a Western military intervention. But I see this uh, latest attack, chemical weapons in the hands of the Muslim Brotherhood, exceedingly dangerous, dangerous escalation. And we all ought to keep our eyes on that one. Ken Timmerman. He's in Washington, D.C. area, and he looks at geopolitical activities across the world for us. We need to have the truth behind all of these headlines that are out there and what really is going on. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We'll take a break, and when we come back, our Middle East News update with David Dolan right here on Prophecy Today. 
How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. Great to have you along as we talk with our broadcast partners who give us information helping us to understand better how the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled by the geopolitical activities that are happening across our world. By the way, in the last eight minutes of this broadcast, it's 90 minutes long, packed with information. The last eight will focus on what God's Word has to say about the end-time scenario, and then we'll see how that sheds light on these current events and how they may well fit into Bible prophecy. The man who covers the Middle East for us, he's been doing it for years. In fact, he has been in the Middle East for years as a correspondent. He did radio, he's done television, he has done printed page, he's covered all the journalistic activities that you can be involved in, as he's reported from that most unique place in all of this earth, the Middle East. David, thank you for joining us. Let's get right into what we want to talk about. The Minister of Strategic Planning, Ya'alelon, who is a former Chief of Staff of the Israeli Defense Force, says that the United States is basically undermining the military threat against Iran. And in fact, even the candidate who will be the nominee as the Republican Party representative for the presidential election, Mitt Romney, in the speech that he gave there in Tampa, Florida, said that uh, basically the United States was throwing Israel under the bus. Does this go along with what Yaelan is saying? Well, Jimmy, um, I I think we're... I I don't want to get into uh, domestic U.S. politics too much, but I, I can tell you this, that Israel is not alone in the Middle East right now. 
in thinking that this administration is a bit of a disaster, and I'm just going to be blunt about that. The Saudis uh, feel that way. Uh, they feel that the, um, the encouragement of the Arab Spring that the Obama administration gave to um, overthrow Mubarak was a mistake, and now we've got the Muslim Brothers there. Libya's in no better position. Syria's completely uh, engulfed in war. And there's, there's a sense in the region, I would say, that um, the United States is no longer, you know, at the helm of things and kind of letting things slide, as it were. And, uh, yes, I mean, this is uh, uh, a president that, um, um, this is a president that's talked a lot about uh, supporting Israel but hasn't gone there himself. And um, the, uh, the uh, Israelis are really trying to avoid taking military action against Iran. I mean, you know, I've explained that uh, on this program many times, that they really don't have the uh, capability of completing the job that needs to be done, which is, uh, you know, completely destroying Iran's nuclear program, because they are barreling ahead. We're now hearing that they are enriching the uranium at the Fordow plant up to 20%, and to get that to weapons-grade material is just a matter of two months. They could have that ready by October or so to, to be a nuclear, uh, to make a nuclear weapon. And the Israelis are kind of at the end of the rope here. And, uh, and if the Obama administration does not take uh, any action here, then the Israelis probably will do it simply because they feel they have no other choice. But it isn't what they want to do. And uh, so, again, again, it's not just Israel that's uh, concerned about a, a nuclear-armed Iran. The Saudis are very concerned. The Kuwaitis are very concerned. Our, our other allies in the region are. And uh, so there we have it. That's the situation. I think uh, Mitt Romney said something uh, pretty accurate on that one. David, you've covered Benjamin Netanyahu for a number of years, both as the prime minister and in his lesser positions of responsibility in the Israeli government. This week, he had a conversation with the United States ambassador to Israel, and that became a shouting match. Netanyahu basically told the U.S. ambassador, listen, time has run out on Iranian uh, diplomacy, and then he got very, very livid in the fact that uh, the United States doesn't seem to be stepping up, which is what you just got finished saying. Uh, but the prime minister's at his wit's end, and that means that he is close to giving the order for that preemptive strike. Would you not think that the case? Well, Jimmy, again, we had, um, we had um, Ayatollah Khamenei, and then we had the military chief in Iran both say in a, in a space of one day, just uh, two weeks ago, that Israel will soon be destroyed. They are, um, as the uh, foreign ministry representative there in a statement in reaction to that said, in, in, you know, in reaction, he said, we are being told that we're about to be annihilated. So what, should we sit here and wait for that to happen? This is, and, and you know, with, with, um, with Bibi Netanyahu talking to the U.S. ambassador, the U.S. ambassador is Jewish, and he's the first American Jewish ambassador we've had in about 10 years. There was one before him. And so, in other words, the ambassador is an American, but he understands Jewish history. These are the people of the Holocaust. These are the people that were, you know, a, a, a third of them were wiped out of this whole, you know, race, as you, were, uh, as you were. Religion were wiped out just 
within the lifespan of you and me. I, well, I'm a little bit younger than you, but <laughs> within your lifespan, and my dad fought in that war. So, you know, Netanyahu hears these words and says, we can't just sit here forever when they are vowing to destroy us, completely wipe us out. That's what they're saying. So um, he, I understand his agitation, and I understand, uh, and I'm sure he does too, that President Obama doesn't want a, a war or another action right before an election. But, you know, you don't choose your enemies, and you don't choose what they say about you. And in this case, you know, Israel's not encouraging Iran to destroy Israel. It's Iran doing this. And I understand his frustration. And, uh, you know, the president of the United States, uh, whether it's an election year or not, is going to have to deal with this because they are moving their program underground rapidly. And within a couple months, there will be no military option left but to possibly drop a nuclear weapon on those facilities. And Israel doesn't want to reintroduce nuclear weapons uh, to be the first country to do that after Hiroshima, the end of World War II. So uh, I can understand his frustration, and it's obviously real, or he wouldn't be talking so bluntly, talking about Netanyahu, to the U.S. ambassador. David, there is an Israeli analyst who has uh, put out a report making a statement that war in the Gulf, the Persian Gulf it's talking about, by late 2012. You think that's a reality? Is it a possibility? Oh, it's a, a great possibility. And again, because we have these several uh, things uh, spinning at once, and we've got to keep very much in mind that uh, Syria is falling apart, and Iran has sent to Syria thousands of revolutionary guards that are fighting with the Syrian forces. They are not going to let that regime fall, and Hezbollah is not going to let it fall without uh, trying to use everything they can. So the Israelis are basically expecting an attack from Hezbollah if Israel doesn't take action first. They're expecting something imminently. And, uh, you know, they're doing, they're doing a lot of war drills. Uh, we've had a, a huge uptick uh, tick in people getting gas masks and getting ready. And, the, and government leaders, uh, Ehud Barak, the defense minister, has been telling everyone he gave three TV interviews a month ago, and he said, we are on the verge of war, folks. Get ready. I mean, he didn't say it that bluntly, but that was the message he was delivering. And uh, now they've got this new service, Jimmy, just uh, tested this week, to send everybody who's an Israeli citizen an, an, an SMS message, text, saying war is imminent. Mm. So now they can alert. I mean, that's, of course, if Israel takes the first strike. They can send the citizens 20 minutes before it happens a notice that this is coming without going to the media and alerting the Iranians that something is, is imminent. And this is a wonderful new uh, service that they've got, and, uh, and they have been on the media. The Israeli leaders have been on, you know, interviewed this week saying, you need to take this very seriously, folks. We are on the verge of a very likely war, and that's just the reality of, of, of what's going on. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's uh, look at what's inside the country right now. And I've only got about 30 seconds, David, so be brief if you can. There are Islamists that are laying the groundwork for a West Bank coup. Hamas, the Islamic element of the body politic of what is the Palestinian people in Israel, trying to take over the West Bank. They're in the Gaza Strip. They would like to take over Fatah in the West Bank. Your thoughts? Well, their parent, their dad, the Muslim brothers, just took over the 
Arab world's largest country, mainly because of U.S. inaction and encouragement. And so now the Gaza Strip is contiguous to Egypt, so Hamas feels very emboldened, very powerful at the moment. Uh, they're getting weapons in, the borders are open. And so, yes, they will certainly try to oust the Palestinian Authority. And if they succeed in doing it, that will be just another uh, chink in this, uh, uh, this crumbling fence. It really is a very difficult time, and the Israeli people are being told, get ready, we're going to have some big trouble here, get as prepared as you can. David Dolan with our Middle East News Update. David, thank you so very much. You're welcome, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we stay in the Middle East with Itamar Marcus. He talks about how the Palestinians are negating Christian theology. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central Chattanooga, Tennessee. We take off for Duck Creek Baptist Church. That's a wonderful name. I love the name of that church. It's located in Sneedville, Tennessee, and they have a radio station. You're probably listening to us right now on WSDC. I do believe they rebroadcast this program a number of times there in that part of the world. Well, right after the broadcast, we're going to head up there, have a wonderful weekend with you all up there in that part of the country. Come join us at the Duck Creek Baptist Church all day Sunday. As promised, we're going to talk with Itamar Marcus. He heads up an organization called Palestinian Media Watch. Let me give you their website address, palwatch, P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H, palwatch.org. You go there, and I want you to sign up for their Email alerts. Itamar sends out information sporadically along the way to keep you informed of what's happening there upon there among the Palestinian media, both the electronic and print page, so that you'll know exactly what they're saying. Not what they're saying to world leaders, but what they're actually saying uh, to their own people, the Palestinian people. Itamar, there is a story that you have been covering, and I think you've done some pretty deep research on this story. Mahmoud Abbas is the president of the Palestinian Authority. And on a recent speech, and a number of times over the last couple of years, he has said the alleged temple on the Temple Mount. In other words, he was refuting the Jewish history that there was a temple on the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem. And as you study the scriptures and study secular history, 
there is evidence that it was there for over a thousand years. Now, I want you to talk about that. But in addition to that, what is very interesting to me is that the denial of a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount is right in the face of Christian theology. For example, Jesus Christ went into the temple and threw the money changers out. Now, he did that twice at the beginning of his ministry, found in John chapter 2, but also in Matthew 21, he went in during that time of triumphal entry into Jerusalem and threw the money changers out. If there was no Jewish temple there, how could he do that? So I think that the Jewish people and the Christians as well have a real concern with what Mahmoud Abbas is saying. Uh, talk to me, first of all, about uh, his denial of a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount, and how long has this been going on? Oh, this has been going on for years. It's the mo- one of the most important things for uh, the people who today call themselves Palestinians is to create a history for themselves. Uh, they want the land of Israel. They want the land of a nation that did have, that does have, thousands of years of history in this place, and there wasn't even a Palestinian people till literally just uh, the 1960s when, when terrorism in the name of the PLO and the name of the Palestinians created a Palestinian people. So they have children without roots. They have families without roots. Uh, they have no heritage. So what they've done is they have created their own replacement ideology. They have taught their children, and we see this in the school books, we hear it regularly in their education of their kids, that there is a many thousands of years Palestinian history, and that there never was a Jewish history in the land. And part of the denying of Jewish history is denying all the details. So they deny that there was a temple in Jerusalem. They deny archaeological finds. They deny uh, every. They even deny that Jesus was a Judean. He was that he was a Jew, because that means that the Jewish people had a history. So they turned Jesus into a Palestinian. It's very important for them. It's not something just uh, coincidental. This is critical for them. We Palestinians have thousands of years of history. The Jews are foreign colonialist invaders. This is a constant message coming from the Palestinian leadership. You know, I cannot understand how they can even make the statement. It's an outright lie. Even as you look back to, for example, uh, what they referred to as Herod's Temple, the temple that was there, 2,000 years ago in the times of Jesus and when the Jewish people were in the land before they were dispersed to the four corners of the earth, uh, they called it Herod's Temple. And as I understand it, some of the history of the Palestinian people is that they say Herod was one of them, he was a Palestinian, and it was his temple. So uh, they're denying even their own history, aren't they? Not only that, they're even denying, Jimmy, they're denying the Quran. The Quran, which bases itself on, on so much of, of, of Scripture, both of, of Hebrew Scripture and of Christian Scripture, the, the Quran actually has a chapter that talks about the destruction of both temples. It talks about the first temple, Allah was angry at the Jews, or the children of Israel, he destroyed it once, then he destroyed it again. So even the Quran talks about this temple. So in order to create a Palestinian people and an identity, and to deny Israel a history, they're even willing to reject and deny the Koran. You know, I also cannot understand how they can go right in the face of secular history. It was 70 A.D., General Titus, son of the Roman Emperor Vespasian, 
who was directed by his father to return to Jerusalem, destroy the temple, devastate the city, and disperse the Jews to the four corners of the earth. They have the Arch of Titus and the city of Rome. One of the reliefs on that arch is the fact that the Roman soldiers are carrying back the menorah, the silver trumpets. It's right there. It's speaking of history. How in the world do they just do away with all of that? It's, your question is, is absolutely one of the most uh, amazing things that does happen in the Palestinian world. You're right, things like the Arch of Titus. Who can argue what the Arch of Titus is talking about? Uh, there are full histories written about the period, uh, Roman histories. There, there have been coins that have been found recently uh, and stamps that have been found recently with names of people mentioned in the Bible. Uh, so all of this is happening in the excavations that are going on now. And we see it actually in the Palestinian press. They tell their people, don't believe what the, what the Israeli scientists and, and, and archaeologists are saying. It's only them. They're making it up to try to create a false history. We get this all the time. Well, I hope and pray that as this broadcast goes out across America and around the world, the Christian community will wake up to actually what the Palestinian people are doing. They're not only denying Jewish history, but now they have taken on another part of the religious system of our world, Christianity, and they're saying that Jesus Christ never went into the temple because if there was no temple there, how could he go in and throw the money changers out? I hope the Christians will get up off their blessed assurance, wake up and and start joining you, Itamar, in some of this concern that uh, your people help us become aware of with all of the watching of the Palestinian media, the electronic, the print media, and everything else that's going on. Let me go to another subject now. I uh, see that you put out a report that there was a cartoon, somewhat of a political cartoon, that was published in the Palestinian media, and it included President Obama. Talk to me about that. The Palestinian Authority had hoped very much that uh, President Obama would uh, literally force Israel to give them everything that, uh, that they wanted, and Obama actually had said that he, he figured there would be a Palestinian state within a year or two, I think he said this, in his second year in power. Uh, and, of course, that never happened because the Palestinians weren't willing. Because he did not twist Israel's arm, uh, they are no longer looking at Obama and presenting him as a friend. Uh, in, in this cartoon that appeared last week in the official newspaper, you see this demonized-looking uh, religious Jew with a long black beard. He's, he's humped over. Uh, he's got a nose as long as the, as the butcher knife that he's holding in his hand, and he's got this big, big knife that he's holding, and it's dripping with blood. And Obama is reading a newspaper, and the, the newspaper is titled American Media, and then Obama tells this Jew, who obviously just committed a crime because his, his knife is dripping with blood, he tells him, don't worry, there won't be a thing in the press about it. There's nothing in the media. There are no pictures or articles about you in the press. So what he's saying is that Obama and the American media are hiding the Jewish people's crimes, uh, are hiding Israel's crimes. Uh, this is in the, the Palestinian newspaper. Wow. Well, this is just propagandizing not only the Palestinian people, but also an effort to propagandize the entire world with some of this information. Itamar, I so appreciate the time you can spend talking with us and keeping us updated on what is really being said through the Palestinian media electronically and both the print page as well. Thank you so very much for your team and for all of your activities, and I'm sure we're going to have to have another conversation down the way. Thank you, Itamar. 
You're very welcome. It's always very interesting to be able to talk with Itamar Marcus. When he and his team monitor the Palestinian media, they come up with really what these Palestinian leaders are saying. And in essence, remember the first of the interview, we talked with Itamar about the fact that the Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas denies there was ever a Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. Thus, that is in the face of Christian theology. How then could Jesus have walked into the temple and thrown the money changers out? Very, very interesting report, especially to the body of Christ. We have another of our broadcast partners standing by right now. He is Rob Congdon. Dr. Congdon looks at the European Union keeping us on top of what is happening in that part of the world. Angela Merkel, who is the Chancellor of Germany, she is now, as I understand it, and tell me what the ramifications of this might be, she wants to have a European Union treaty convention by the end of the year. Is she interested in trying to change something as it relates to this Lisbon Treaty? Would that not be dangerous? Give me your thought. Well, I think it, it, is, it has a twofold action. One is she is strongly pushing for what I've just referred to as the political union, uh, a strengthening of the European Union's power over its 27 member states and obviously transferring more power from the individual countries to Brussels, the capital of the European Union. I think there is a great risk in this. If she pushes the treaty, there could be some dividing, some realignment, but that's almost what we expect. We expect to see borders realigned, and the political union that she would want would ultimately affect borders and could possibly realign the European Union. She's doing it because she believes only a political union can solve the financial problems, but they can't do it with the individual countries. And so she's pushing for it. But I, I think we could see some real change to the EU. But the bottom line is a much stronger union, much stronger central government. And that's exactly what we would expect from a prophetic viewpoint. Yeah, that's uh, developing that empire that the Bible calls for. Absolutely. And we expect to see, instead of 27 nations, a smaller division uh, of, obviously, we expect from a prophetic standpoint, ultimately 10 units, which I, I tend to think will be regions. And when you've done regions, you've been managed to destroy the individual sovereignty of countries. You've turned them into regional groups, and the union can control that much better than they can these 27 independent, somewhat independent states. Dr. Rob Congdon, <laughs> wow. I, I, I am amazed. I have a conversation every week with Rob, and we always have to come to the conclusion that this, what is happening in the European Union is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Rob, thank you for staying on top of this for us. It's so key, I believe, for our listeners to hear what is happening in that part of the world as it relates, as we've talked about, to the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk again next week. Well, we'll look forward to it. Lord bless. Very interesting conversation, always with Dr. Rob Congdon, as we look at the European Union and how it continues almost on a day-by-day -day basis to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, you can go back and listen to that entire interview. You can go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we will have each and every one of the interviews that we do 
on the broadcast today, archived there at PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's for your convenience. When it's good for you to be able to listen, you can do that. And if you miss something, or in fact you miss the entire broadcast, you can hear it as well right there at PTRN. Do me a favor, pass along to friends that that is available for their usage as well. There's some very interesting conversations that we have. For example, the one coming up next will be very, very captivating. But I want you to tell your friends about where they can go and listen to these very timely interviews that we're doing that will help everybody understand how the current events of today are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. The man who's going to be joining us right now was born in Egypt. He ultimately came to the United States. He is a born-again Bible-believing Christian involved in a ministry. I'm going to find out about his ministry as we talk with him. His name is Usama Dakdok, and he is a man who has an outreach to the Muslim world, not only around the world, but here in the United States. Yusama, thank you so very much for joining me, my friend. I appreciate this. Well, Brother Zimi, it's always my joy to be with you and all you wonderful audience. Thank you so very much. I'm thank holding you. in my hand a copy of a news report coming from a Roots 7 in Jerusalem, Israel. It's a Orthodox news site, Orthodox Jewish news site. And they're reporting about 20,000 Muslims who are expected to attend a three-day event and they call it, and how do you pronounce for the from the Arabic word, J-U-M-A-H? That's the word Jum'ah, which means Friday. Okay, Jum'ah. The Jum'ah, the Friday prayer. For the Muslim who pray, their big day of worship is Friday, as for Christian, most Christians go to church on Sunday. Right, and this article says this Jum'ah will be held at the Democratic National Convention, which is very, very interesting to me. The Juma <laughs> event is being sponsored by the Bureau of Indigenous Muslim Affairs, BIMA, which is a national Muslim American nonprofit organization. They say the purpose is going to be, according to BIMA, to attract national and international attention to the plight of American Muslims and to hold political parties accountable for issues that affect the Muslim people. First of all, talk to me about this Juma. This is just a normal activity for a Friday afternoon, correct? Uh, maybe in the mind of uh, Americans who do not know the truth about Islam, but uh, the more we uh, know about Islam, the more we know how dangerous it is to allow a bunch of Muslims to go in any place, especially uh, like this event, and gathering to pray to the Allah. When Muslim gather and kneel towards Mecca in one place, in one time in their life. This place is no longer what it is, but it is a mosque. So that is a great victory for the Muslims to go in the capital, before uh, uh, in the front of the capital, or in any building in America. One time prayer make this will make this place a mosque. Now what is interesting to me, that the Democratic National Convention going to be held, it's underway, or uh, the process of coming together in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the officials of the uh, DNC have agreed to allow this event to unfold. It basically started on Friday the 31st and is going to continue for a couple of days. So you're telling me that when they get together, in their mindset, they believe 
that that spot where they're praying there in Charlotte, North Carolina at the convention center is actually a mosque in their mind from then on. That's uh, absolutely 100% true. And if you look at the first mosque which ever exists for the Muslim, that is when Muhammad lied to the Muslims in uh, Mecca, and he told them that he was taken by Allah uh, somehow in a miraculous way to Jerusalem, and he prayed there one time, and then he was ascended to the seven heavens, riding on his, uh, what I call, supersonic mule, and come back to his own bed, and his bed was still warm. He made up this lie, and that's why Muslim, 1,400 years later today, believe that they have the right to have their mosque in Jerusalem, because that is where Muhammad prayed one time in his life, which never took place, which never happened. Muhammad never was transformed from uh, Mecca to Jerusalem to the seven heavens. It's a lie. But one place for Muslims to stand up and pray towards Mecca, this place is a mosque. This is not just my belief or my idea. That is Islamic doctrine. That is their foundation. That is their belief. Now, they would pray every Friday anyway at some place, some location, wherever they were gathered. Most of the time, they do go to a regular operating mosque to do their Friday prayers, do they not? Yes, they do. But, you know, brother, here's the problem. When, when we talk about prayer and people hear us say, Muslim prays, well, what's wrong with Muslims to pray? I mean, the Buddha prays, the, the uh, Baptist pray, and the Catholic pray, and the Jewish pray. Well, everybody pray. But see, that's the problem. If we know what even Muslims say in the prayer, you will see that it's illegal. It is illegal in America for Muslims to pray, not inside the mosque, not in the past, in the uh, some Baptist church, as we've seen some Baptist church open their, their uh, large fellowship hall for Muslims to use while they're waiting for their mosque to be built, or any public place. It is illegal if we know what Muslims say in the prayer. It is against our constitution, freedom of religion. And, and I, I want to say it quickly here. When Muslims pray and read the first chapter, which is called Al-Fatiha, and they say, uh, guide us to the straight way. When they say this in Arabic, it means nothing to us. We have no clue what they're saying. But they're saying, guide us to the straight way, which is the Muslim way, not the way of those whom you are angry against, that is the Jew, nor the last one, that is the Christian. Can you imagine with me, when Muslims go to our uh, public places, or like this uh, big Democrat day coming three days, and they say that all the Jews Allah is angry against, and all the Christians are lost. And then our liberal, I call them foolish liberal, ignorant liberal, clap hands and thank them for coming to pray there. That wow. is absolutely nonsense. They believe that you are a Christian, therefore you are an infidel, therefore they must cut off your head, they chop off your head. They have the right, by the teaching of the Quran, to decapitate every man and every woman who believe that Jesus Christ is Son of Virgin Mary, is God, or, or, or those who believe that Jesus is a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So this is the problem. We do not see anything wrong for Muslims to build a mosque in America. We do not see anything wrong for Muslims to pray anywhere in America because we do not know what do Muslims believe, what is on their agenda. Now, let me and their agenda... Now, well, let me ask you this. We're talking about a group, as I can see the promotional piece right here in front of me, that seems to be somewhat of a moderate type of a Muslim, not the <laughs> radical Muslim. 
I love it. I love it when I hear the word moderate Muslim. You know what's amazing? I lived in the Muslim world 43 years. That's all my life. I never heard the word moderate Muslim. I never heard the word radical Muslim until I, I learned it from Bush and now Obama. This is the lie, the biggest lie from the bottom of hell. There is no such a thing as a moderate Muslim. There is no such a thing as a radical Muslim. There is a Muslim or non-Muslim. Until the American people read the Quran, very simple, until the American people read the Quran, they have no clue what I'm talking about. What is a moderate Muslim? Are you trying to tell me that Allah was a radical God? Are you trying to tell me that Muhammad was a radical prophet? I mean, what is a, what is a moderate Muslim? A man who does not believe in Allah's word, and he lived in disobedience to the command of Allah in the Quran, is a moderate Muslim, a man who does not believe in Muhammad nor in his teaching, and he lived in disobedience of Muhammad's teaching, what is a radical? If I tell you, Allah said in the Quran, do not take the Jews and Christians for friends. And you see, somebody is taking you as friend. Is this a good Muslim? No, it's a bad Muslim. Why? Because he's making friendship with non-Muslims. When you read the Quran and say, Jews and Christians are infidel, and Allah commands Muslims to kill the last one of them, and somebody practices the teaching of Allah in the Quran or the teaching of Muhammad in the Hadith. Does this make this Muslim a bad Muslim or a good Muslim? What is a moderate Muslim? Brother, because of the lies of moderate Muslim and moderate Islam, Muslim will continue to take over this country. They are practicing Taqiyya, chapter 328 in the Quran, which said they can pretend to be our friend with their lips, not with their, uh, not with their heart. And they will continue to do that as long as they do not have the upper hand. So these moderate Muslims, which you see them smiling on the video on YouTube about this Friday prayer with the Democrat Party, they're nothing but true Muslims who are practicing the lies uh, which Muhammad and Allah gives them permission to do. They will pretend to be moderate. They will pretend to be nice people. But their heart is they're here to take over America. And sadly, Obama and his party is the open door or the open gate for Muslims to run for Senate, for Congress, for mayor, for president. And this party, sadly, are willing to do anything to destroy the moral of America and to allow Muslims to take over America. They are the open door for Muslims to take over this country. Wow, wow. We're going to have to have another conversation. This is just not enough time to get into all of this. And so after this broadcast, we'll get together and set another time scheduling a interview with you so we can go more in depth. But you're saying to me that no such thing as a radical or moderate Muslim, they're all Muslims, all dedicated to doing what the Quran and Muhammad has directed them to do. And part of that is to take over America. That's the bottom line. Well, they are winning. They are winning both ways, and because American people believe that uh, we are in war with radical Muslim in Bush days, and now we are. Uh, there is no radical. Muslim. As a matter of fact, if you look at Obama and his people, they will tell you the Brotherhood a good Muslim. They are in the White House. They work right now in our homeland security in America. They are the one whom Obama gives in the country of Egypt and Libya and Tunisia and soon Syria. These rebels are nothing but Brotherhood. So. We do not have really bad Muslim anymore. See, under Bush, we used to believe that we are in war with radical Muslim. We are not in war with Islam. Really, that is the biggest lie. And then now under Obama, there is no radical Muslim because who is radical Muslim? The Brotherhood? You mean Nadia, Dalia Mujahid, and uh, Muhammad Atim and Ali Hassan and all this wonderful Hassan Rashad and all this wonderful working in the White House? 
are the brotherhood are the bad one? Of course not. So there is no brother. Taliban is good Muslim. Al Qaeda is good Muslim. Brotherhood is good Muslim. Fatah Hamas is good Muslim. There is no bad Muslim anymore. Wow. What is a moderate Muslim? It's a lie spread by our politicians because of political correctness. And if we continue to live these days, which is the last days I believe on earth, believing in the lies of our politicians because they're cowards or because of the political correctness, this will be the end of America. Usama Daktok, a man who is from the land of Egypt, coming here after 43 years of his life and now living in America, trying to reach out to the Muslim community with the precious gospel message of the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But not only here in America, around the world, but he is informing us of what really is happening here in America. Usama, this has been a very important conversation. Thank you, my dear friend, and we will arrange for another conversation a bit longer in the near future. Thank you, and God bless you in your ministry. Anytime, brother. Thank you, and God bless you, too. Wow, what a conversation with Osama Dakdok. Man, you need to listen to that. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN. I say you need to listen to it. You were probably just doing that, but you probably want to listen to it again. It's pretty difficult sometimes to understand what he said exactly. Go to our website. You'll be able to slow it down, play it back, whatever. That, again, is PTRN at prophecytoday.com. We're going to take a break, and when we come back in the next segment, we have another very important interview. We're going to be talking about the Mormon Church, what it believes. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is our last half hour, and in this half hour, I have a conversation with a man who's going to tell us what is Mormonism all about? What are their beliefs? We'll get to that interview in just a moment. I want to remind you that starting Monday, we have our School of Prophets Prophecy Conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. You still have an opportunity if you'd like to attend. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. And double-click on the School of Prophets Prophecy Conference in Gatlinburg. It'll give you all the information. You can call and come to be with us. Let me just ask you to go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and answer our poll question. Here it is. God, down through the ages, has used human government to direct this world towards the direction that would fulfill his will for mankind. Do you believe, as foretold in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, that God is still using human government to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled today? Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, to answer that poll question. We're going to bring another of our broadcast partners to the table right now. His name is Russ East. He is the manager of a Christian radio station out in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's a man who comes out of a Mormon background. He and his family were Mormon. He came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We've had several conversations, but I wanted to have just a relaxed conversation today with Russ about uh, the Mormon faith, the Mormon religion. Now, the reason I'm doing this, we have just completed the Republican National Convention, It was very evident that Mitt Romney is a Mormon. His family, they're all Mormons. 
He has been a pastor at a church, a Mormon church. And I just want to find out, really, what is all behind this Mormon faith. I mean, you know, we talk about it. Is it mainstream Christianity? And I think that's one of my concerns. I'm going to tell you out front, I do not believe it's mainstream Christianity. And I think in my conversation with Russ, he'll confirm that. Uh, But if it's not, is his election going to do anything to make the world believe that it is mainstream Christianity? And would there be a danger to that? So I'm prefacing everything. I'm not attacking. I certainly am not interested in uh, any other philosophical, governmental, political philosophy being in power than what uh, the uh, the candidate, uh, the Republican national candidate, Mitt Romney, uh, proposes to be the case in leading our country. Now, having said that, uh, this is just a conversation to help you, those eavesdropping on the conversation, to understand uh, what we're talking about. Uh, let, let's begin with uh, when we're talking about the Mormon religion. Let's talk about the central focus of Christianity, which is Jesus Christ. Russ, who, who are we talking about if you're a Mormon? Uh, when in, in their thinking, who are they talking about when they say Jesus Christ? Let me just quote Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 135, verse 3. Just one verse from one of the Mormon scriptures that will help us answer that question. Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 135, verse 3 says, Joseph Smith the prophet and seer of the Lord has done more, save Jesus only, for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. That, that's an important foundation to understand coming from Mormon scripture. That's all that is. It's just one of the Mormon scriptures, Doctrine and Covenants, that gives us some idea as to how Mormonism teaches upon Jesus and their prophet, their founding prophet, Joseph Smith. Jesus is taught, if you look into a book called Gospel Principles, published by the LDS Church, or the Mormon Church, and in the first and second chapters, if you were to read through that, you would find that the Mormon idea of Jesus is that he is the brother of Lucifer, that he is our brother, offspring of Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father, and that we live together in the pre-existence. Lucifer, Jesus, all of us, all up in heaven before we gained a body. Everybody, every spirit, every soul was in heaven actually before anything happened on earth. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. That's correct. Now, was uh, the father and mother of Jesus Christ in the Mormon religion, were they uh, physical beings or were they gods? Well, Heavenly Father would have been a god. He, he's, he's a man, he would be described as a man who would become a god. Wife would be a goddess. All of the people on the planet, everyone was at one time in the past, we were all up in the pre-existence in heaven, living with Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And Jesus and Lucifer were one of those two, and they're just they're just offspring, just like all of us are. They're, they're just our, our older brother, Jesus, his brother Lucifer. What about, and Ann Romney, on the morning programs, ABC and NBC, on these morning programs, actually was quoted as saying that when Mitt Romney was standing there speaking, and in fact she mentioned her son, who also spoke on the Thursday night uh, convention meeting, uh, that uh, they felt like uh, the son feeling like his grandfather and Mitt Romney himself feeling like his father was right beside him. Anything in that, or is that just kind of an emotional experience they were having? Well, uh, as to that, you know, um, I have encountered 
people in the Mormon Church that when they do their baptisms for the dead, that it's common for them to look forward to those spirits to make manifest of themselves in that Mormon temple and to, in a sense, show their presence there. So, so in that context, that idea of returning spirits, that is something that's, that's not uncommon. Now, in Christianity, once a person receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, in order to be obedient to the Lord, we follow through with baptism. Why would there be baptisms for the dead, Russ? In Mormon teaching, that gives people that have died the opportunity to accept the tenets of Mormonism. It's, just, it's a false teaching that Joseph Smith um, put together. Now, talk to me about how does an individual who is in the Mormon Church gain salvation, or are they capable of having eternal life? Well, in Second Nephi 25-23, that's in the Book of Mormon, it says that a, that a, a man, he, he's saved by grace after all he can do. And Moroni, chapter 10, verses 31-32, talks about the same kind of idea, that, that once you've done everything you can, then His grace is sufficient for you. And so this is all contrary to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So we have a real problem there. Um, we have to consider the three degrees of glory that the Mormon Church has for heaven. You have the celestial, terrestrial, and celestial kingdoms. So the lowest kingdom is where the Holy Ghost will only visit you, but you'll never see Jesus or the Father. The middle kingdom is where you'll be visited by Jesus, but you'll never see the Father. And the celestial kingdom is where you yourself can become a god. So you need to go through the temple ceremonies to become a god. You need to do the handshakes and the special tokens and ordinances that you can find on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and just type in Mormon Temple Ceremony Hidden Camera, or if you want to learn more, uh, our website, upfc.org, Utah Partnerships for Christ, we'd be glad to encourage you as you're trying to maybe help explain the true message of salvation to your Mormon friends. There are many reports in the news today, in fact, that uh, Mitt Romney was a pastor at a church. What would uh, those duties call for him to do, and how does that play into the echelon of the leadership of the Mormon Church? If they use the, the term pastor, that's interesting, because it's technically a, it's a bishop. A bishop in a Mormon church in a ward um, would not provide a, a weekly sermon. Um, rather, he would um, carry a full-time job, and he'd have um, two men that would be his first and second counselors that would help you know, do counseling at his ward of 200 to 300 people, tend to the needs of his, of his congregation and so forth. So it's a prominent role. It's, it's, it's a role that would show a strong allegiance to the teachings of Mormonism. By no means would, would anyone who's a bishop be called to that place if, if you were mediocre in your commitment to the, the Mormon faith. Uh, one thing that's interesting, it's a quote from Brigham Young, who is the second prophet of the Mormon Church. He wrote in um, Journal of Discourses 715, it says, Will the Constitution be destroyed? No, it will be held inviolate by this people. And as Joseph Smith said, the time will come when the destiny of the nation will hang upon a single thread. At that critical juncture, this people will step forth and save it from the threatened destruction. It will be so. 
That was Brigham Young, and that's that's sometimes referred to as the white horse prophecy. So being a man who loves talking about prophecy, this is something that that I thought you'd find interesting, is to, to hear this idea of just the fact that Joseph Smith, he ran for president of the United States of America. A lot of people don't realize that. But in 1844, Joseph Smith ran for president. So is there any indication that... Uh, the mainstream Mormons today believe that that white horse prophecy is still in play and that uh, Mitt Romney might believe it's in play. I think it's very, very probable that that, that could be the case. I, I would have to think so. You know, I think I think the more we understand what Mormonism teaches, we can understand anyone who wants to be in a place of prestige, power, influence. It's important for us to know these things about about the Mormon Church and, and, and what what drives a man, what what is what, what are his allegiances. And so I think that's important. Um, anyone who's gone through the temple ceremony claims to give all their possessions to the Mormon Church, basically at the, the Mormon Church's will. I mean, it, it can be given over to them and, and, and such. So so there's an allegiance there, first and foremost, to, to the powers of the priesthood, as they would say, the Melchizedek priesthood, that they believe they hold. Well, now, let me ask you, you mentioned early on that uh, Mormons can become gods, little gods. Uh, is that a part of every Mormon's desire to become a god, and they do that through the temple ceremony that you were referring to? Right. The idea of becoming a god is is blasphemous to, to you and I and to evangelical Christians. But in Mormon thinking, we are gods in embryo. We are just of the same fabric of as, as of God, it would not be something that a Mormon would would think to be a a terrible thing to become a god. It, it would be a blessing. It's just just it's a different paradigm altogether. It just doesn't match up to um, Isaiah forty three, forty four, forty five verses that talk about the fact that there's only one God. And of course, the Shema, Deuteronomy six four, the idea of one God, one Lord. Uh, this whole idea of plurality of gods is is impossible it doesn't it doesn't match up with what the bible has to say so, now, now talk to me then about uh, Mitt Romney has he and his family gone through that temple ceremony which would make them these little gods yes yes Mitt Romney and his wife Anne yes they have gone through the temple ceremony and they have made covenants that they would actually even have their necks slit if they were to reveal the things that they've learned in the temple, the various things. It's all Masonic, and it's all very foreign to anything Christian. And yet these are the things you have to memorize and do. With somebody who stands on another side of, an, of a veil, and you put your hand through the veil, and you, you recite these incantations and do these special grips, special grips, special handshakes, and then, then you're allowed to come into a room called the Celestial Room. And so... It's troubling. Uh, we need to pray uh, for those who are Mormon, uh, regardless of who they are and what level of power they might have in our society. Pray that they would just trust in the true Jesus of the Bible, and that they would see that He is enough, that He paid for our sin on the cross, and that was enough. Yes, amen and amen. Well, I wanted to have this conversation with Russ East he is a former Mormon for a number of years, has come to know Jesus Christ. He has put his trust in that Jesus he was just talking about, his death, burial, and resurrection, and received him as Lord and Savior. 
But I wanted to have this conversation for you to be able to eavesdrop on it. I'm not attacking. I'm simply letting information go forth. The truth will make us free. So I think we need to talk about the truth. Russ, I want to thank you so very much for the time that you would spend and uh, your candidness with us about, uh, you know, what you've experienced and what your truth sure. and what your ministry now is, is, as you just indicated, to reach out to Mormons around the world to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you, my good friend. appreciate it. And we'll talk again, I'm sure, before this election season is over. Thank you very much. It's an honor talking with you. I'm sure that's another interview that you would like to listen to. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com, at Prophecy Today Radio Network. We have all the interviews on today's broadcast. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website site if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we had some very important and interesting conversations, one of them with Usama Dakdok on how Islam is actively trying to take over America. Another was with Russ East, who helped us to understand what the Mormons really believe. These are two very important interviews, and you most likely will want to listen to them again if you heard the broadcast when it went out on the weekend. 
Either way, please call a friend and tell them about these interviews with our broadcast partners. They'll be able, as well as you, to listen to these conversations with these men, along with the reports from all of our broadcast partners on Prophecy Today weekend, by going to our website, prophecytoday.com, and then to PTRN. Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's radio when you want it, at your convenience, when it's good for you to be able to listen to it. That again is prophecytoday.com, and then double-click on Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll be able to listen to these broadcast partners from all around the world. Let me tell you something about these reports from these men. Ken Timmerman in Washington, D.C., talked about a summit that has been going on in Tehran. General Dempsey, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon, made a statement that Israel cannot take out the Iranian nuclear program, and the United States has sent another warship into the Persian Gulf. Dave Dolan gave us our Middle East news update. He told us that Prime Minister Netanyahu is upset, very upset with the United States, who seemingly is hindering an Israeli preemptive strike on Iran. This all happening as the leaders of Iran continue to say they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And David did tell us about the possibility of a Middle East war by the end of 2012. Itamar Marcus, who is with Palestinian Media Watch, they monitor the Palestinian media, both electronic and print media, and Itamar brought to our attention that Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, the leading governmental figure among the Palestinian people, denies Jewish history, but at the same time, he is also denying Christian theology as it relates to the person of Jesus Christ. This is one report that you must listen to. Dr. Rob Congdon, he gave us our report for the European Union update and all that's happening there so key to setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Again, that location where you can listen to these reports It's prophecytoday.com, that's the website, and then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You know, most of our reports from our broadcast partners were focused on how human government plays such a role in all of our lives. God instituted human government, that's Genesis chapter 6, when after the flood, God put in place human government and at that time started to direct humankind in the direction he wanted them to go in order to accomplish his will. You know, God has indeed used human government down through history. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Egyptians They were responsible for the Jewish bondage or slavery for 400 years, which was a fulfillment of prophecy, Genesis chapter 15, a part of the Abrahamic covenant, when God told Abraham that the Jews would be out of the land and in a foreign land for a 400-year period of time. The Lord used the Babylonians. Second Chronicles chapter 36 talks about how Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire, comes in, destroys the temple, devastates the city, and takes the Jews into the Babylonian captivity for a 70-year period of time. And that's because they did not rest the land as the Lord had commanded them in Leviticus chapter 25. 
Then God used the Medo-Persian Empire and a man named Cyrus prophesied 150 years before the fact to release the Jews so they could return to Jerusalem and build their temple, the second temple. That's Ezra chapters 1 through 6. God also used the Roman Empire to drive the Jews into the four corners of the earth, a fulfillment of Bible prophecy in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and also talked about by Jesus Christ in the Olivet Discourse, Luke chapter 21 and verse 24. God is using human government today, in fact, with the establishment of the Jewish nation in our world, the modern-day state of Israel. He used the United Nations to allow for a Jewish state, which had been prophesied by the ancient prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 11. In Bible prophecy, God will continue to use human government. The alignment of the nations, when the Jews will be under attack from the Middle Eastern nations, as foretold in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Psalm 83, that will take place in the near future. The revived Roman Empire and the Antichrist coming onto the scene. That's Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 to 24. God will allow a one-world religion to come into power. That's Revelation chapter 17. But then he will use human government to destroy it. That's Revelation chapter 17, verses 16 and 17. The city of Babylon will be the center of a one-world economic, political, governmental system as foretold in the book of Revelation chapter 18. These are all prophecies where the Lord will use human government to accomplish his will for the end of times. The end of times scenarios talked about with these prophecies in particular, focusing on the Jewish people, will indeed be fulfilled. It is so amazing to me to watch God's plan unfold and how he is using human government to set the stage for the Bible prophecies of his prophetic word to be fulfilled. I stand amazed as I watch all of these things unfolding. What is exciting to me is as we see these things happening, we can recognize the times that the ancient Jewish prophets were talking about some 2,500 years ago. And we see all of this coming in place like never before in all of history. But you know, God is even going to use human government to prepare this world for the next event on God's calendar of activities. That would be the rapture of the church. And the rapture, when Jesus calls all of us who know him as Lord and Savior into the heavenlies before all the judgments unfold on the earth, that rapture could happen at any moment. And with everything I've said on this broadcast today, along with our broadcast partners, basically, the stage is set for that rapture to happen. In fact, it could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.